On this episode of our award-winning podcast, we'll continue our discussion about COVID booster vaccines. Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality at Vizient and Practicing Internist. Joining me again is Dr. Azra Belin, Associate Vice President for Pharmacy Sourcing and Program Services. Azra, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me back. So let's ask the one question that everyone has in mind. Is this bivalent vaccine safe? Well, the FDA has approved its safety and efficacy for use here in the United States, whether it's Pfizer 12 and older and Moderna patients 18 and older. So yes, the booster is safe. How is the efficacy compared to that of the native vaccine? Do we have any data behind that? We do have some data, but it's not as much as we would like. The truth is there is potentially a greater efficacy with the new booster for the average adult who does not have any underlying health conditions. However, the efficacy may be greater for those patients who are immune compromised or over the age of 65. And by immune compromised, it's not only diseases that cause that, but also if you are obese, have diabetes, and you're older, then obviously that could be affecting your immune response as well. That is correct. So let's talk about the timing and boosting. We've learned a lot over the last two years in reference to when people should get boosted. Can you give us a comment on when people should be considering getting this boost? I only recommend that patients go ahead and get boosted after it's been at least six months after their last boost or end of their primary series. And if you've had an infection with COVID, that counts as getting boosted. And the reason why is because what we're looking at, when we're looking at the data, there's not an overwhelming, compelling amount of data to show that by getting boosted at three months or four months, that you're getting really any additional benefit than if you had waited until six months. And some studies were showing that potentially your immune response might be better by actually waiting a little bit longer to get that booster. I think that's very important to emphasize here in the sense that we know a lot more. We don't want to cause any confusion because beforehand it was three months when we were advising people to get boosted. And even during the summer, among those people at the highest risk, we were asking to actually shorten. But the data now is showing that you should wait at least six months between those boosts because the immune response is better and an infection that occurs. If you get COVID during that time, that counts as a boost. Yes. Azra, I also understand that there's actually a very bad flu season going on in South America. Should people consider not only getting the bivalent vaccine, but also the flu vaccine? Absolutely. You know, before COVID came around, many people did not realize how many Americans we lose every year actually to the simple flu. And it's really important for people to get vaccinated against the flu because there are some years where the flu strain is really bad and patients will have these really debilitating symptoms. And I know that for some of us when we were growing up, we look at the flu sometimes as the common cold, like, oh, I just have the flu and, you know, it's not a big deal. But it actually is a big deal because when you get the flu, you have the same amount of fatigue and muscle aches that you may experience potentially with COVID. But having the flu also puts you at a greater risk for potentially developing pneumonia. And so we advise people to not forget your flu shot. I think we've talked a lot about COVID in the past two years. This has kind of taken a backseat in the minds of most Americans. And we want to absolutely stress that the flu is still a major risk and it can cause severe complications. And so if you have the ability to go out and get your flu vaccine, absolutely do so. Yeah, the timing is going to be important as well. If your timing makes it where it's okay to wait till October to get your bivalent vaccine, then that's a great time to consider getting your flu vaccine at the same time. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. But again, I tell patients, don't wait, right? So for example, if you're due to get your COVID booster in November or January, right? Don't postpone getting your flu vaccine. When it comes to the flu season and how the flu vaccine works, getting your flu shot in October, maybe early part of November, maybe end of September, that is probably the ideal window to make sure that you have the proper immunity throughout the entire flu season. One of the things that folks actually forget about in the flu season is that there's always this second spike that occurs at the end of January, sometime in February. And all of a sudden folks are thinking, hey, what's going on? I can't be getting the flu. I got my flu shot in October. And sometimes if they get their flu shot too early, for example, if they get it in August, they may not have the immunity to protect them when that second surge comes in through January and February. So I always advise patients to go ahead and make sure that number one, you're getting the flu vaccine, but if you do make sure that you're also timing it appropriately, if you're able to get the COVID vaccine along with it, great, but you know, don't delay one over the other. Is that combination of both flu and COVID vaccination, is that safe? So we haven't seen any data yet that shows otherwise, that shows that there's any complications to it. Now, I always tell patients this as well, that you know your own body better than anyone. If you are somebody who goes out to get a vaccine and you're somebody who doesn't matter what vaccine it is, but you have some of those side effects, maybe you need an ice pack, maybe you have some muscle tenderness, maybe you have a slight fever. If you're someone where you have those reactions after every vaccine, there's nothing wrong with being cautious and spacing them out a little bit. But if you're somebody who does not suffer from any of those adverse effects, typically from a vaccine, there's nothing that shows that this would be any different for you. I know that the current bivalent vaccine is just for boosting only, but do you see a future where this may actually be the new vaccine for starting the series for those who haven't been vaccinated? I do not. And here's why. Mm -hmm. I think what we're looking at here in terms of just the progression of COVID vaccines and the future of COVID vaccines what we're really trying to accomplish here is staying ahead of the various mutations that COVID has and developing a vaccine which will help and continue to confer some level of immunity in patients. Now, the biggest thing that we want to focus here, first and foremost with COVID, is we don't want patients to die. And that was the biggest threat when COVID first came out, is that patients were dying. And so first and foremost, these vaccines are designed to prevent patients from dying, number one, and number two, if we can keep them out of the ICU. So that's the primary goal of getting vaccinated. But as COVID continues to mutate, and we have no reason to believe that these mutations are going to slow down anytime soon. We live in a global society. And so even though we might have a particular variant that's prevalent in the United States today and a different variant that may be prevalent in Europe, there's nothing that will stop those variants from circulating eventually all across the globe. And so we know that the virus will continue to mutate, whether it's now, next year, two years from from now. And we want our vaccines to stay up to date with that. So when I look at the current bivalent vaccine, it takes into account the original COVID vaccine, plus the current Omicron subvariant of BA4, BA5. That may not be the prevalent variant, let's say six months from now, or even a year from now. So I don't foresee this particular formulation being part of the new series. What I see is that potentially the original series of the vaccines may be redesigned in order to address the newer variant that is yet to come. Can Novavax be used as a booster? 
It is not currently approved as a booster, so there's not enough data that's been submitted to the FDA to make that particular statement. However, the Novavax vaccine, one of the benefits it has from being, I guess you'd say, late to the party is that they actually had their clinical human studies, their clinical trials being done at a time where some of these subvariants of COVID were in circulation. So those people who were involved in that clinical trial and those patients were living in communities where other types of COVID subvariants were in circulation. And that really does help from a data perspective us understand that the Novavax vaccine might actually have a better efficacy for certain subvariants. And we know this a little bit more confidently because of the data we have from those trials. I tell people the Novavax, with their clinical trials, they do have data that shows a good amount of protection against BA1 and also BA5. But to what extent can we extrapolate that data to larger population sets? That's the part that's still a bit ambiguous. So I understand that there is a nasal vaccine coming up. Yeah, so there are actually currently 12 different vaccine candidates for COVID that are what we would call a potential for a nasal vaccine. Globally, there's actually 12 candidates. I can't believe it. It sounds great, right? Very promising. And one of the things that we're actually studying which is very fascinating to me, is with these nasal vaccines, what we're finding is that it is actually stimulating different parts of what we call mucosal immunity. So the immunity that you have in the mucus lining of your nasal passages and in your lungs, those parts of your body actually have an immune response as well. And so what we're finding with the nasal vaccine is that in some of the testing that's going on, that it's stimulating those immune responses in those tissues. And that's a different level of immunity that you do not achieve with simply an intramuscular injection, which is what we have today. So the future is very promising for potentially these nasal vaccine candidates to be as efficacious, maybe even more than the current intramuscular injections that we have. 12 new vaccines. This is going to be just as complicated as treating diabetes. (laughs) Well, I can't say that we're actually going to have 12 new vaccines, but I think it's really promising that we have 12 new candidates in trial. As we look at the pipeline, the more candidates we have, the more likely we are to actually have a viable nasal vaccine. Azra, great discussion. Thanks for joining me on these last two episodes. And to our listeners, if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send me your comments, please contact me at our email at modernpracticepodcast.com. And we posted a link in our resource section. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom Villanueva. Thank you so much for listening.